So at this time, I'm going to invite you to turn in your copy of the Bible, God's Word, to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, we're going to be looking at this letter to the Hebrews in the sixth chapter, and we're going to be starting in the ninth verse of that chapter. And uh, if you're looking for it, or you don't have a copy of God's Word that you can have accessible to turn on or turn the page, uh, you can certainly use one of our pew Bibles. Uh, It's going to be on page 1064. That's where the text is going to be found. And if you do not have a Bible that is readable or that you can really discern, I I would encourage you to take this one in the pew in front of you. It's our gift to you. We find it to be easily understandable and yet faithful to the text, the the original translations. And so we want to provide those. They are not just garnishments for our sanctuary. They are available to you. If you want to take that Bible home and it be yours, you feel free. It's our gift to put it in your hands, and ultimately we want to hopefully get it in your heart. So I'll ask you the same question as I asked our children today. Have you ever had someone make a promise and they didn't keep? I'll ask the same question. Have you ever made a promise and you didn't keep it. Now I'm going to ask the even deeper question. Have you ever made a promise that you knew you wouldn't keep? I'll admit it. I've made promises I knew I wouldn't keep. As sad and terrible as it is, I knew when I made this the, these, these promises that I don't think I can keep that. There are certain promises I have kept faithfully. I'm so thankful that I've been able to, by God's grace, to keep faithfully. But there, sometimes I'm like, maybe I just said it because it was what the person wanted to hear. And that's a sad testimony. But it lets us know, if, if you felt that little flinch in your gut because you know you've been there, it just reminds us how broken we are. And how we need someone who is not broken. We need someone we can trust. In fact, some of you have in this room, you need someone you can trust because you have faced people in your life that have made promises, but you yourself knew that promise made by that person was absolutely meaningless. You ever had that person in your life that would make a promise and and you just knew as soon as it was made, it means squat. It would almost be like looking for the sinister cartoon evil villain making the promise and be like, I promise. And just thinking, you're not going to keep that. Even an elementary school kid knows that person is not going to keep that, especially when they do the cross your fingers thing. That's a dead giveaway. Everybody knows that's a rule breaking. But today we're going to look at the one who is the eternal promise maker. And why knowing Him as the promise maker, the promise keeper, the one who has power behind His promise, it is what helps us as followers of Christ to grow in our knowledge of of God in a deeper way and to trust Him as we follow Him because we know that God keeps His promises. So, with that being said, we're going to look at the book of Hebrews and we're going to read the sixth chapter. Would you stand with me as we honor God in the reading of His His Word? Now, the text is going to be behind me, but I always encourage people to follow along in their copy of God's Word. This is what the Word of the Lord says. 
It says, even though we are speaking this way, dearly loved friends, your version, if you're not using the one I'm reading from, may say beloved. In your case, we are confident of things that are better and that pertain to salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for His name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them. Now we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end so that you won't become lazy but will be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. I will indeed bless you, and I will greatly multiply you. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves. And for them, a confirming oath ends every dispute. Because God wanted to show His unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, He guaranteed it with an oath. So that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because He has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, this is Your Word that we have read from and and heard proclaimed today. So help us handle it well. Help us handle it as servants hidden behind the shadow of the cross. Help us to learn well and hear well. That this would not be something that merely touches the ear, but it touches the soul. It pierces the heart. It divides to the deep parts of who we are. And let it take root as the living and active Word that comes from You. The promise maker. The promise keeper who is great in His faithfulness. Who is eternal in His promise. Lord Jesus, give Your church hope today. Not based on who we are, but based on who You are and who You are making us to be. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. So when we open God's Word... A few things we need to take into consideration. And we look at these each week. And you may be tired of hearing them, but it may be the first time someone is hearing them. So I will say them again. When we're looking at the Bible, we need to read it in the context and the way it was given. To see what God was intending whenever He spoke it in its original place and find out what it says to us and how that has its meaning from where it arises. That we realize the Bible wasn't just dropped out of the sky yesterday. It was written and completed over 2,000 years ago and the period of writing the 66 books of the Bible, the 39 in the Old Testament and the 27 in the New Testament, those books were written over a period of 1,500 years. 
the human authors that penned them were human authors that spoke three different languages on three different continents in those 1,500 years. But nevertheless, God in His time and His way sewed a, a scarlet thread throughout the, each of them to weave them together and to say that while they were penned by the hands of men, it was authored under the inspiration, infallible, inerrant Holy Spirit of God. It's been breathed out to us. And here as we read the book of Hebrews, when we look at the meaning, we're looking at a letter that was written to the Hebrew Christians and people that were Hebrew pseudo-Christians. Meaning they, they said that they had acknowledged Jesus. They may have nodded at the right time. They may have joined in with the assembly. But they were really questioning whether Jesus was someone worth worshiping. Whether Jesus was someone worth proclaiming and holding steadfast to. And while they were doing this, they were facing incredibly severe persecution. Not only from the, from the home front, because as Hebrew people that had professed Jesus... Many of them would have been shunned and banished from their own communities, from their own homes, from their own way of living, from their own vocation. They would have had great loss. It would have cost them everything to proclaim this name that is above every name. Now, I will be the first to say that was not my experience growing up, and it may not have been your experience. You may have felt a little bit of pushback or maybe some weird faces being made whenever you talk about Jesus but losing your job, losing your family, being pushed out of your homeland, exiled from cities, that's probably not our experience in this nation. But this was their experience. But not only were they being pushed out from their homelands and their home fronts because of this name of Jesus, and whether or not they will continue worshiping Jesus, or if they will even start, There's also the outside front pushing in on them. That during this time was a severe persecution from Rome. That it seemed good in the eyes of the government to create scapegoats. To to say, these are the patsies that are responsible for where our nation is at the time. And there was persecution that was taking place on those who called on the name of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews is... He's not unaware of these things. He knows these things. And he sends this letter to encourage the faithful and to exhort the faithless. To encourage the faithful who who are trying to stay true and recognize and hold up that Jesus is indeed far more excellent, far more perfect, the Eternal One, the One who is God, One who is better. They are holding that dear. And the writer is encouraging them, this is why you can have such confidence in knowing that Jesus is indeed better. But for the faithless, he's exhorting them that you are wavering between two opinions here. And one is highly detrimental, but one is the way to save your soul. Choose where you are at. And here he tells the readers about why they should choose to follow Christ in a deep way, in a certain way, knowing that God keeps His promises. And He does this by highlighting the promise maker, the promise keeper, the one who is full of faithfulness. The fullest. And here's that's, this is the heart of this message to us who call on the name of Jesus in this room. If you are a true follower of Christ, 
They're the ones that know God deeply and they trust God to keep all of His promises. That they never look at God's promises being made and be like, yeah, right, sure. No, they say, that is gold. It is certain. It is guaranteed. It is assured. It is yes. Because it came from Him. It is the promise of a better walk, a better life, a better salvation. And He's encouraging the believers that are reading this as they're trying to decipher what's going on to apply it to their life. And today, when we look at the Bible, it's the same case. The meaning never changes, but the application for where you are today, the Bible still pierces every one of our souls and is living and active to root out how this applies, the significance of that meaning in the application of our daily lives. And today we must ask, what am I going to do about what God's Word is saying to me? Well, first of all, I want you to know this. That the Bible makes clear that those who respond with faith to the Gospel with faith, they see the message of the cross that there is a God who is holy. There is a sin that is offensive to this holy God. And there is a sufficient one that God Himself sent. Himself. And they see that personal responsibility to trust in Jesus and and receive that eternal hope and that life transformation to those that respond to the Gospel in that way, in true faith. They can have patience and see that God's promises are always going to be kept and never fail. Even though we may not see them in the instant moment, they are available. They are abundantly able to be banked upon and trusted. And that we will inherit them. You see, the promises of God are this unshakable hope. Ever had something that just shook you? Maybe it was a moment... Maybe it was a conversation. Maybe it was an instantaneous scenario. And and the pit of your stomach just rose because you felt shaken. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know what the next few minutes are going to hold. I don't know where this conversation is going. I don't know if this person's going to come home from the hospital. You ever had those moments? Shakeable. And you may have said, man, my life is full of those moments. But with the promises that come from God, they are declared as unshakable. That, that you don't have to worry in the pit of your stomach of whether these are true. They are absolutely foundational and set. Because they are anchored in the promise that flows from the lips of God. And they're anchored within the souls of His followers. So let's look at some of these promises just so that we can have this assurance where the writer is reading to us. He says that first of all, that we who have followed Jesus and only we who have followed Jesus. I know that is not a message that the world likes to hear today. It's very exclusive. But we who have followed Jesus can know Him deeply and trust Him and follow Him because it is the promise with a better hope. A better hope than any that the world affords. And we've said this before, the word hope as it's translated in the Bible is not a word that we would translate into the modern day lingo of wishful thinking or hoping something turns out right or hoping something I can trust in. 
But the word hope in the Greek is translated as something that is an assurance. And we have a better assurance than any of the world can afford. As I said earlier, there is no greater promise than the one that God has made that He is for us and is with us. I, I can find no other promise in the Bible given to man other than that. And I can think of no other promise outside of the Bible that would ever equal it or top it. It is a sure and fixed hope. And here the writer says, even though we are speaking this way, dearly loved friends, he's transitioning from what he has just talked about in the paragraphs before about the people that have come and, 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 and they're walking away from the faith because they never had true faith. There were people that, as we talked about last week, are kind of like Sam's Club samplers of Christianity. I, I talked about last week how I love going to Sam's Club. I do. I, I love it. I love the fact that I can feed all four of my children at the hot dog stand with a hot dog, a beverage, and a churro and still walk away with money. Like, I think I actually walk away with more money than I had when I came in if I was eating there. It's, it's a glorious thing. But I also like perusing through the aisles and seeing those nice little green banners and the people in the, the white outfits and they got the little aprons on and the little cocktail sticks and... They're showing these samples and, and man, many of them are mighty delicious and I'll taste them and they're good. And they'll say they're available right here or they're available on this aisle. And I'll taste it and be like, yeah, I'll acknowledge it's good. But I won't purchase it. I won't take it home with me. It's, it's not mine. I just got a little sample and I, yeah, I nodded with everybody else. It's good. I like it. But I don't want enough to keep it. I don't want enough to have it, to possess it. And this is the same thing, that there are people who come in and, and they're caught up in the good and the taste and, and everything and, and, and they think if they just say the right things and nod their head to the right places, but yet don't take Jesus home with them. He doesn't dwell in their hearts. They think they're good. And then when the tumultuous parts of life come, their life that is built on a sandy foundation wipes away. This is how the Bible describes what apostasy is. It says for the true believer, God absolutely helps them persevere and walk as they have placed true faith in Him. He faithfully walks with them and never leaves them or forsakes them. But for the one who never truly walks with God, they cannot bank on the promise that God is for me and God is with me because I never took Him home. I never trusted in Him. I said, yeah, He's nice. But do I want Him? It gives that picture. This is the, the imagery it's given. But then it brings it back to encouragement for the believers, those who are true believers. He's saying, even though I spoke this way about what is happening, what you are seeing, and what was happening then, and what we know to even be true today, we've seen and witnessed people like this. He says, for those of you that are true followers, those of you who are dearly loved, the beloved the ones who are loved and adopted into the family of God. For you, what you hold is a promise with a better hope. A promise that lasts. He says, this is the promise that you can be confident of. In your case, the ones who are beloved, you can be confident of the things that, that are from God that are better. 
You can be confident of the things that pertain to salvation. You can be confident that God is not unjust in what He has made available to you. He doesn't look like the guy in the ad that's like, "Uh uh-uh, almost had it. Uh Uh-uh. That is not God. He says, come here, my child. Be with me. And I will be with you and I will never leave you or forsake you. God is not unjust. God is not unkind. He also sees who you are as you stand before Him. He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for His name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them. I was reading a text about what are these things that pertain to salvation? What are these things that are good that that we can be confident in and grow in and walk in? And I and I read this text uh, from John MacArthur, and it says things about the things accompanying salvation, how we can know it is good because it is not infancy, but it is maturity. It is not milk, but solid food. It is not inexperience in righteousness, but perfect righteousness. It is not repentance in dead works, but repentance towards God unto life. It is the accompaniments of salvation that are primarily positive. They are primarily available. They are not negative. They do not reflect the external ceremonial religion of the day, but the internal regeneration, the new birth, the transformation, the new life. Their significance comes not from repeated sacrifices, but from the one perfect and complete sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They do not focus on the elementary truths of resurrection and judgment, but on the believer's blessed hope because of these things. They are not just on being enlightened, but they are set on being made new. They are not just about tasting salvation, but about feasting on it. They are not just about partaking of the Holy Spirit, but having Him indwell us. They are not just about having a taste of God's Word, but having it as the nourishment of which we drink and eat. They are not just about seeing God's miracles, but about being one. These are the things that accompany the promise of salvation. This is the better hope that we have been given. That we have in Jesus. That we have in the Lord. And on that better hope, The writer says, God sees who you are as you stand before Him. As His loved child. As His serving in His name child. And as you are this person. And while you may see the discouragement around you of those who do not fully yet grasp what that means. Maybe they are a child of God, but they are still in that immature place where they need to grow. And maybe they are the ones who are not a child and they're wandering and walking away. As you see them, don't let that affect who you are before the Lord. Don't let that affect your service before the Lord. Don't let that affect because your love from Him has not changed. The way He sees you has not changed. And He will not forgive. He is a better hope. This is why it says, now we desire each of you to to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end. So that you won't become lazy, but will be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. That you'll see those that you've learned 
great life lessons, great lessons to follow the Lord, and you'll see them and become imitators, and you won't fall short of the line. This week I was amazed. I was sharing yesterday during practice the sporting world news about the, the man that broke the marathon uh, record. Uh, completing a marathon in less than two hours. One hour, 59 minutes, but he broke the record. That's about a mile every four and a half minutes. That is crazy. That is crazy. And here's the thing. If I wanted to say, you know what? I want to be the best marathon runner ever. And I know that's a joke because some of you are like, look like, yeah, that ain't happening. But if I wanted to, that's a person I would want to emulate. That's a person I would say, I want to see their training regimen. If I'm going to be better, I want to do what they did and more. The same thing is true when it comes to following Jesus. We are meant to be such a, an encouraging, growing, connected group among one another that we're able to look at one another and say, you know what? I'm not there in this area, but that person is. I imitate them. I don't want to grow lazy where I am and just say, I'm good. I want to keep growing in that way. And that person, I see that in their life as they follow Jesus. I'm going to learn from them. That's why it's so valuable that not only do we gather every week and be faithful to that in the worship gathering where we can be encouraged by one another worshiping the Lord together, but it's important that we belong to connection groups so that we can actually know and say, wow, I'm not alone in that. I see that person that's walked through that. I can learn from them. God strategically has placed me here to be near them where He's placed them here. So that we can grow together towards Him. Because we both have the promise with a better hope that this life, this following of Jesus, this confidence that He is better, it's absolutely yes. It's absolutely set. It's absolutely firm. It's absolutely worth it. I do not want to give up. Another promise that it brings the unshakable hope of certainty for Every believer is the promise from the better honest one. I know my grammar's not there, but I had to find the alliteration. Stefan will love me for that. It's a, it's, a, it's a hard habit. I really can't break out of it very easily. But do we really see how honest God is? That the honesty that comes from Him is better than anyone we would say we trust. Ever. It is a, he is a better honest one. We may say, this person's good. Whenever they make a promise, I can bank on it. They'll get it done. But yet God is exceedingly abundantly more. Let's look at it. In verses 9-12, through 12, we see this picture of the God's promise made to Abraham. And, and Abraham's a very familiar uh, person in the grand narrative of Scripture. In the history of God's making Himself known to man. He, he's a pretty high, up there, touted person. And the writer of Hebrews has already highlighted um, people of grand authority. He highlighted the angels, which had this supernatural authority that the people were trusting in. He highlighted Moses, this great deliverer and lawgiver. And now he highlights Abraham, the father of their faith. A person who's known for his faith. He wasn't perfect. But his faith was what God saw, and God credited that faith with righteousness. 
And so he holds up this, this picture of Abraham and the promise God made to him. It's this familiar picture of Abraham, childless, a stranger, being called to a strange land he did not know, and yet he followed, trusting that God would keep his promises, that he would bless all the earth through his descendants, even though he had none. And in this picture, we see Abraham being made this promise by God that I will indeed bless you. I will greatly multiply you. Why does he say, I will indeed do it? He's saying, if you can't trust anything else, trust my identity. I will indeed do this. It won't happen through natural occurrence. It won't happen through extraordinary events. It will happen because I made it happen. Because I promised it would happen. So God gives us this familiar picture and then it points us back to Him. Back to Him. That that He, in assuring Abraham that His promises were true, He says, what can I make an oath on? What would be good enough assurance for your soul? What would be the, the thing that said, okay, well God says if, if, it's, if I break my oath, then, then this is there. What does God do? Put that on me. That if I break my promise, I am not who I say I am. But if I keep it, you will have assurance that I am the one that not only makes promises, I keep them all. And I will bring this about. He makes a promise on himself. He holds himself to the, 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 to the contract. To the covenant. He holds himself to that commitment. And then it puts us to showing that, that God is a better promise keeper. It says because God wanted to show His unchangeable purpose, even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, He guaranteed it with an oath. So that with two unchangeable things. First, God is unchangeable. Did you know that? God is absolutely unchangeable. From eternity to eternity, He will always be the same. He has always been the same and He will always be the same. Which is such good news for us. That means the constant, overwhelming goodness of God never changes, never fails. The old, almighty holiness of God never changes, never fails. The only truthfulness that is ever made available, it never is compromised. It never fails. There is no weaknesses with Him. And the same Jesus we speak about is the same God of the Old Testament. It's not like there's a new God in town. He's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. So one of the promises is that based on the fact that God doesn't change, He changes us, but He Himself is always the same. And the fact that He is trustworthy, He never lies. It is impossible for him is that he makes these promises. So when God makes a promise to his people, there are two things that we can hold dear. God, you never change. It is impossible for you to lie to your people. Now, I'm not holding this out to be this holy uh, loophole like where I'm trying to turn God into some vending machine. Like, God, you said this. I'm waiting. Where's my payment? Where's my candy bar? That is not it. He is not Happy Meal God not 
the Lord Jesus. Where if you just push button A and push button C, you'll get option C or D or whatever. Sometimes I get lost in my own train of thought. It happens. I, consonants, they don't, they don't matter. But that is not who God is. But what God says is my character doesn't fail. And you may not see the promise right immediately in our instant gratification, pump gas at the pump, pay at the pump, instant microwave society. But nevertheless, they will not fail. They will be fully made. Because we can trust the promise from the the more honest one. And lastly, we can trust the promise of the better hold. It says that we, so that we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. In other words, God says, I have made hope not a prize for you to win, but a person to hold you. I myself am hope, and I want you to seize me because I will seize you. I will hold you and never let you go. I will be for you and with you and be faithful to you. I am the great faithful promise maker and promise keeper. And I want you to seize that hope. If you're looking for refuge, if you're looking and saying, my life is disturbed because it does not have peace with God. My life is in utter rebellion and separation from God because I have sinned and fallen short. My life is full of rebellious idolatry because I choose self over the Savior all the time. The Bible says we can flee to Him for refuge. This picture of refuge, it draws us back to the Old Testament. Whenever God was creating the people of Israel, He says, I'm going to create and set aside six cities. Six of them. Three on the west side of the Jordan River, three on the east side of the Jordan River. The Levites are going to run and have these cities as their own possession, but they will be called cities of refuge. And if your life is in danger because you have unintentionally committed an act that killed or harmed your brother, you can flee there. And the person seeking vengeance will not be able to pursue you until there has been a fair trial to, or to determine whether or not you did this premeditated you did this with intention or not and you can stay there and stay alive you can be preserved you can find assured hope protected hope this is the picture that we as believers have that we so covered in sin so in need of a savior can run him and he says i will hold you and even those who've had life of intentional sin God will welcome and say, I can wash away and forgive it all. I can cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I can forgive you. I can hold you. And I will. And not only will I hold you, but your life will be held as if there's an anchor for your soul. An anchor that is firm. An anchor that is secure. An anchor that went into the inner sanctuary to be in the very near presence of God. This is the picture where it says that enters into this inner sanctuary. This anchor for our soul. It sets us and plants us there into this place where we were once unwelcome. 
that only the high priest on a certain day of the year, after a certain amount of rituals, could ever go in there for a certain period of time. And then he had to leave. But the Bible says through Jesus, the better hole that we have is one that is planted near presence of God and is never forsaken. Why can we be there? Because Jesus went there first. He went there to be the mediator priest, the great priest that makes the sacrifice and to be the sacrifice, to be the Lamb of God. The Bible declares the one who was put on the cross in our place to pay the price for our life. This is why we can enter there because He entered there before us. And because of the hope that we have that is unshakable, that is assured because of the honest one who makes that promise and because of the hold that never lets us go. That is why we as followers of Christ, we seek to know Him even more deeply. That's a person worth hearing from. That's the person we want to know. That's the person we want to grow with. That's the person we want to emulate. That's the person we want to reflect. That's the person we want everybody else to know. We want to know Him deeply. And as we know Him deeply, our trust grows stronger. Our faithfulness is reinforced. Our mission is more confident. This is what is available to the believer, to the child of God. And only the child of God. This is why the writer of Hebrews makes this defining difference. That for you who have that promise, hold it. Be ever more worshipful because of the God who made that available to you. But it's also written so that unbelievers may hear it and may say, this is why believers have such hope. This is why their peace is good. This is what is possible if you too also will follow Him. Today, you can have that peace. You can have that promise. Not based on anything we've done in this room. Not based on anything that we are. But based on the promise maker who is the promise keeper. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today as we come to the the conclusion of this this message time and the conclusion of this gathering, Lord, we know that whenever Your Word is proclaimed, it is rich and it is full of grace, but it also calls us to account. It calls us to response. So today in this place, I am asking that You would help those that need to follow You, whether it's with the first step as as placing their faith in You, or whether it's a next step when it comes to being a child of God. Help them respond as You see fit according to Your will, according to trust in who You are, what You've done, and what You've said. Lord, we love You, and we ask You to protect and guard this moment and that You would have Your way amongst Your people. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. At this time, the music is going to play, and as I said, it's a time of response. We give this every week. Uh, You don't have to come talk to me to respond to the Lord Jesus. I'm not your priest. He says he makes that directly available. But should you need counsel, should you need help, should you need someone to help walk you through, or if you have questions or need encouragement, I keep myself available here. And if you need someone to talk to about taking that next step with Jesus, whatever it may be, whether it's placing your faith in Him for salvation, or uniting with His church, or being scripturally baptized, or or some type of next step on a mission. I don't don't know what it may be, but we want to help you take those next steps. As the music plays, you follow.
as the Lord would lead you.